Welcome back to another Fitness Formula Friday. Yes, as cheesy as it is, I am sticking with that phrase, Fitness Formula Friday. For this episode, I was honored to talk to Jordan Syatt. I'm personally a big fan of him, his work, and his own podcasts. And I was just really appreciative of him coming on and being willing to share all of his great knowledge and information with us. So a little bit about Jordan. He's a personal trainer, retired world record powerlifter, and now spends a lot of his time doing jujitsu and training clients. Uh, he's a proponent of functional but strategic dieting and has made a name for himself in the industry. He's known as being the personal trainer of Gary Vaynerchuk, which, I mean, if Gary V's trusting you, that's pretty impressive. Um, but more importantly, he's known as a hardworking, honest, and caring coach who's always there to just support and inspire his clients. And like I said, it really was an honor to get to speak with Jordan as as of late, he has played a big role in shaping my thoughts on health and fitness. I mean, heck, he even managed to give me a little mindset uh, shift during this episode. Uh, so be sure to listen for that one. All right, on with the episode. Hey, what if I told you I have the secret get fit quick formula? Well, I'd be lying. See, there isn't a one-size-fits-all magic potion, and fitness isn't something obtained overnight. I learned that the hard way. Through many failed experiments, I've ended up on all sides of the scale, from overweight to underweight to now my ideal weight. I've been where you are. It took a while, but I finally discovered there is a simple formula. It's reliable and sustainable. It can be tailored to your individual genetics and goals. It's not a shortcut, but knowing about it is. This show is meant to guide you along your health journey. By listening to the stories of health and fitness professionals, you will learn the principles and habits that can lead you to long-term health. I'm Teddy Benz, and I want to help you craft your fitness formula. Jordan, hi, how are you? I'm well, man. How are you? Good. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Of course. It's my pleasure. So to start off, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, kind of looking for the quick crash course in who Jordan is and how you got to this point in your um, health and fitness journey and career. Yeah, sure. I'll try and make it as, as brief as possible. Um, so I got into fitness because of wrestling. So I started wrestling when I was eight years old. I was super young and my mom actually encouraged my brother and I to do it. My, my brother was getting picked on a lot. He's about three years older than me. My mom was like, I want you guys to start wrestling. And I was eight years old and I was like, you want me to hit someone with a chair? Cause I was only thinking about WWE style wrestling. Huh. And, uh, and she was like, no, you idiot, like Olympic style wrestling. And so I started doing that at eight and I fell in love with it. Just obsessed with wrestling and the sport and the competition and I kept doing that, and I made varsity as a freshman in high school, so I'd be a junior out for the varsity spot. Um, but the majority of people that I was going to wrestle were juniors and seniors. So I was 14 years old, and they were 17, 18 years old. And so I was good from a technique perspective and endurance perspective, but strength-wise, I wasn't able to compete. So I actually I wanted to learn more about strength and conditioning, so I applied for an internship at a gym in a couple of towns over from me. And, you know, I was just like, I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. Just like, let me come and learn from you. And I was very fortunate that they took me under their wing. And I was equally as fortunate that they were very science-based and great coaches. And that's how I started getting into the strength and conditioning world, just from a very young age, learning from wonderful coaches who were very generous with their time. Awesome. And then um, 
how did you transition into training people? So, I mean, I started off just at that gym, you know, cleaning the yoga mats and mm-hmm. filing papers and welcoming people at the front door. And then slowly and surely they're like, Hey, you can lead the warm up for the group class. And I was super nervous about it. I was 14 years old and I did the warm up, which I had watched them do for about three months. And then from the warm up, then they let me do the warm up and the cool down. And then from that, they would actually let me go around and help people with their technique during the class. Well, one of the coaches actually led the class and then it got to a point about a year in where I could lead the class. And then they started letting me work with them during one-on-one coaching clients where I would just shadow them as they were coaching them. And so over the years, it built up to a point where I was eventually coaching people at the gym as a teenager. So by the time I graduated high school, I had three to four years of coaching under my belt, whereas most coaches don't actually start until they graduate college. So I was very lucky to have that much experience at a young age. Awesome. I'm sure that that um, early start was a big advantage for you. Yeah, I I think it was. uh, It it gave me an opportunity to learn and get a lot of the initial learning curve out of the way at a young age, as opposed to starting at 21, 22, 23. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I'd like to kind of transition into talking uh, the health side of things. I know this is kind of your bread and butter and something that you talk about a lot and you might be tired of and you beat it like a dead horse, but um, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, bring up the calorie deficit when I'm speaking to the inventor of it. Oh, well, I, I have to say, I, I didn't invent calorie deficit, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I think I, I definitely contribute to being one of the the most frequent promoters of it. But yeah, I definitely didn't invent it. I learned it from someone else. Right. Yeah. I I just think it's funny when I've heard that um, people have thought that you created it. (laughs) And it's just funny. It was funny. Someone literally just tagged me in their Instagram story, not even 60 seconds before I logged on to speak with you. Someone said, you know, I'm following a calorie deficit diet. And it it took me back to hear that come out of someone's mouth because it's, it's not like a, it's not a specific diet, right? There's not like the calorie deficit diet. Like, you know, there's the keto diet, there's the paleo diet, there's, there's a plant-based diet. There are many different diets, but calorie deficit isn't a kind of diet. It's literally just telling you how much energy you're putting into your body, right? So if you're in a calorie deficit, then it means that you're eating less calories than your body needs in order to maintain its current weight. Whereas if you're in a calorie surplus, and then you're eating more than your body needs to maintain its current weight. So you're going to end up gaining weight, right? So calorie deficit means you're going to lose weight. Calorie surplus means you're going to gain weight. And I think the best part about it is it doesn't matter what diet you follow, as long as if you're in a calorie deficit, you'll lose weight. And that's it, which gives you all of the power. If you really like carbohydrates, which I think literally everybody really enjoys carbohydrates, then you can eat carbs and still lose weight. It doesn't mean you should eat popcorn and pizza and cupcakes for the majority of your food, but it does mean that you can incorporate them in moderation and still succeed. Can you elaborate a little bit on why you shouldn't make popcorn and ice cream and pizza the majority of your foods? I mean, if like if a calorie is a calorie, why does it matter? So that's a really good question. And I think what we have to talk about first is it's almost like a, it's a, misleading way to think about it in terms of just because a calorie is a calorie, why does it matter? Well, first we have to define what is a calorie, right? A calorie is just a unit of measurement. All it does is it tells you how much energy is in a food. That's it. So a hundred calories from pizza and a hundred calories from apples, it's the same total amount of energy, 
but the amount of food that you're going to be eating will be very different. 100 calories from apples, you'll get way more full from eating 100 calories from apples than you will from 100 calories from pizza. 100 calories from pizza is maybe a bite and a half, but 100 calories from apples, is it's going to be either one huge apple or like two decent sized apples, right? So not only will you be more full, but also then we look at the nutrients, right? So you're going to get more vitamins and minerals from having generally minimally processed, more nutrient dense foods. Whereas the higher calorie, the more, more processed, more um, higher sugar, higher fat, higher carb foods that come either in packages or with high oil cooking or mass production, they tend to be higher calorie, less nutrient dense, and they're going to not fill you up as much for, for way more calories. Mm -hmm. And I know that you um, proved this idea of the calorie deficit with your own experiment that you performed on yourself, the uh, Big Mac challenge. Can you talk a little bit about how maybe you decided to do that and the uh, impact it had on you? Yeah. So basically, I wanted to do something like this for many years because I remember, I remember first watching supersize me that documentary that morgan spurlock made which was basically he ate mcdonald's three times a day every day for 30 days and he gained like 27 pounds or something i remember the first time i watched that i was in i think i was in high school and i was taken aback i was like oh my god fast food is so bad for you because of this documentary that this guy shot as i got older and i got more experience with nutrition i was like man that was a terrible documentary it was very narrative driven it was uh done with a specific purpose which is the purpose i took away from it in high school which was fast food is inherently bad for you but having been a coach now for essentially 15 years and spending many 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 years and so much time in this industry learning the actual science and watching people's behavior and, and watching disordered eating skyrocket and watching people have terrible relationships with food I realized that that documentary probably did a lot more harm than good. Um, and I wanted to do my version of that documentary, but not biased and not cherry picked and not done with a, a specific narrative, just done to show the truth. Uh, and the reason it took me so long to do it is because I didn't have a videographer. I didn't have very good video editing skills. So eventually when I got my videographer, Rico Incarnati, who's incredible, um, I was like, let's do this. So basically what I decided to do was I was going to eat one Big Mac every single day for 30 days straight. And that's not all I ate. I ate regular food as well. I ate the, the majority of my diet was whole, minimally processed foods, lots of lean proteins, fruits and vegetables, just like what most people would look at and say is a very healthy diet. But I also had one Big Mac every single day for 30 days. And when most people hear that, they'll, they're like, well, you can't lose weight doing that. That's impossible. McDonald's is bad for you. Fast food is bad for you. And what they overlook is that, and what sort of, what, what supersize me did was it made it seem as though you can't eat that food without gaining weight and without gaining fat. Well, you can't eat that food and have a healthy life. And that's completely and utterly wrong. You can enjoy your favorite foods in moderation and still make progress. And that's what I did over the course of those 30 days, I lost seven pounds uh, and my performance improved. Like I got better in everything. And the point of me doing this wasn't to say, eat more Big Macs. And the point of me doing this wasn't to say you should eat more McDonald's. And the point of me saying this wasn't saying McDonald's is healthy for you. That is not the point of any of what I'm saying. The point is, if you want to have a slice of pizza at your daughter's birthday party, then you can have a slice of pizza without worrying that you're ruining all your progress. Or if you want to have a slice of cake at your nephew's graduation ceremony, you can have a slice of cake without feeling guilty for doing something bad. You didn't do anything wrong and you don't have to punish yourself for it. The whole purpose was to show people as long as your overall calories are in check, 
you can enjoy your favorite foods in moderation and not feel bad about it. Mm -hmm. I think a really important takeaway from that experiment is that consistency is key. Even though you were having that Big Mac every day, your overall diet was consistently healthy and whole foods. And that kind of propelled you in an upward direction. And you didn't, that one meal each day wasn't bogging you down. Correct. And the other thing I'll say about this is one of the things Supersize Me did in by his own rules, Morgan Spurlock said that every time they asked him to supersize his meal, he was required to say yes. This is one of my least favorite parts about this entire documentary. It's one of the things that I actually hate most about it. Because what he did is he went to McDonald's every day and every time they asked him to supersize it, he was like, oh, I've got to do it. You asked. And I, I can't help but think, you're an adult. You have the ability to say, no, thank you. I'm good. I'm going to have the size that I originally requested. It's like, it makes it appear as though McDonald's is the bad guy. It makes it appear as though this big corporation is evil. And it's a very common, common mainstream narrative that a lot of people try and push these days in politics, that these big corporations are evil, and that they, they only have our, our worst interests at heart. It's like, whatever happened to personal responsibility? Whatever happened to going to McDonald's and saying, you know what, I'm going to have the Big Mac and that's it. You don't need to supersize it. You don't need to make it, that, make it the meal because I'm a responsible adult and I'll choose what I want. And that's it. So I didn't like how he tried to demonize the, the industry and the whole corporation. And I'm not saying everything they've done is great. I'm sure they've done some bad things too, just like literally every human in the world has done bad things. But to take away the individual's personal responsibility and to just put all the blame on McDonald's because they're asking you to supersize it is ridiculous. Just say, no, thanks. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, transitions well, um, if I didn't mention the fact that it was a transition, but um, that it transitions well into the idea of what's a lot of people refer to as flexible diet dieting. I know that you... Um, are a proponent of strategic dieting. Can you explain the differences between those two things? Yeah, it's a, a really good question. I would say, you know, I am a proponent of flexible dieting. I'm just not a proponent of what flexible dieting has become, right? So the, right, yeah. the original purpose of flexible dieting was to literally do what I just said, to be able to enjoy your favorite foods in moderation um, and still make progress without guilt. What it's become has been this thing where people on social media will say, well, you just eat as much as you want, whatever you want. And oftentimes it's people saying, well, you know, if you can have, if you have 2000 calories then you could eat 2000 calories of cookies and you're good. It's like, no, that's stupid. Of course not. Don't have 2000 calories of cookies. It's ridiculous. That's not going to be good for anybody. Um, I'm a big proponent of being flexible with your nutrition and not feeling guilty for having a cookie or even two cookies or three cookies and not feeling guilty if you have a slice of pizza at your daughter's birthday party or having a slice of cake at your own birthday party. I just don't think that we should take it to an extreme and say, you know what, just have everything and eat as much as you want of whatever you want because we do need some restriction. We, we need some, uh, some order and we need some uh, – I guess restriction is the right word. We can't just be free for all to do whatever we want whenever we want. There has to be some restriction to keep us in a healthy place. What are ways that you um, tell people or help them to get that kind of control? Like what kind of tactics can people use? I think the first one that people could do is just track their calories for, for seven days. I would just say start by tracking your calories for seven days and just see how much you're eating. I, I wouldn't even say change what you're eating at first. I would just say track 
your calories. That's it. Download my fitness pal, which is a great app or download Mike's macros, which is a great app. And Track all the food you're eating and look at how many calories it is. And what you're going to find is odds are you're probably eating more than you think you are. Not because you're ignorant or stupid, but because just data consistently shows that people are eating more than they think they are, which is why we see an upward trend in people's weights and body fat percentage, all, not only in the US, but across the world. So keep track of your calories for seven days. And the interesting part about that is even if I say don't change the foods you're eating, simply by writing down everything you eat, you're going to realize exactly how much you're eating and you're probably going to change the foods that you eat just because it's staring you back in the face. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, that's been great talking about uh, nutrition, uh, the nutrition side of things, which I think is definitely the uh, most important part of uh, your, it's the most important thing you should focus on in your health. But um, on the flip side, I'd like to talk about um, exercise and working out and um, your thoughts on that. Uh, so I guess when you first uh, take on a client and they are brand new to the idea of working out, like how do you begin with them and figuring out what is the right fit for them? Well, first I want to get a gauge on what their goals are, what they want to achieve. And I also want to get an idea of, of what their experience is, right? Are they a past athlete? Did they work out in high school? Uh, have they never worked out in their life? Uh, do they want to lose weight? Do they want to focus on getting stronger? Do they want to do both? Do they want to go to the gym? Do they want to stay at home? Do they want to do body weight stuff? Would they like to go lift heavier weights? Like, I want to get an idea of who they are, what they're interested in, what their goals are, what their past is. Um, so it's going to depend radically on the individual. Um, generally speaking, most people are going to be able to do some form of strength training uh, from the very beginning right? And strength training can be different for everyone, right? So I mean, for one person, just doing a bodyweight squat would be very difficult. For another person, they could put 300 pounds on their back, and that would be difficult. So it, it always depends. But I always like to get a little bit of movement in uh, at least three times a week with just basic strength training, um, starting off with big compound movements like squats and deadlifts and lunges and pushups and chin-ups and rows, uh, movements that really incorporate the full body to its fullest potential and also having regressions and progressions in there based on the individual. If maybe they can't do a squat without hurting their knees. So how can I improve their squat form? How can I modify the squat technique in order to make it doable for them and progressing from there? And I think you made um, an important distinction there, um, how individual exercise can be that um, when a lot of people think of strength training, they think you have to be lifting weights in the gym. Um, but that's not the case. As you mentioned, it could be body weight type stuff. It could be body weight, could be bands, could be kettlebells, could be, there's, there's an infinite number of ways to strength train. And I think depending on where the person is starting, what might be strength training for you now might not be strength training for you in a year. And that's sort of the goal, right? That's just progressive overload. If when you first start, you can't do a push up, so you more focus on, just holding the push-up position at the top to build up the strength and the durability and resistance, well, eventually you're going to be able to do 10 push-ups and just holding that push-up position won't really be strength training for you anymore. It's not, it's not as difficult. So the whole goal is to get to the point of progressing to where what used to be difficult is no longer difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's important to enjoy what you're doing as well, right? So if you're not uh, enjoying bench pressing, then maybe that's not the exercise for you. Like it, maybe you would want to stick to just body weight type stuff and 
um, doing more difficult types of push-ups or whatever. You know, this is something I've been, I've actually been changing my mind on more recently. Ideally, yes. Ideally, you're going to enjoy what you do for exercise. Mm -hmm. That being said, not everyone's going to like exercising. There's not. It's like, I'll, I'll use another example. I think it's really important for everyone to keep track of their finances, to keep track of their income, to keep track of their expenses, keep track of all of it. I think it's a very important thing to do. I hate doing it. Like I, I really hate doing it. I don't like going in and checking my bank statements and checking all my income and expenses. Like it's annoying and it's tedious and I'd rather not do it, but I do it because it's really smart. And if I don't, I could end up in a bad spot. Same thing with working out. Not everyone is really going to like it. And what I found is the more I tell people, you should just find something you enjoy, the more frustrated they get when they don't like it because I'm telling them they should do something they enjoy, but they don't. And they'd rather me just be honest and say, listen, maybe you're not going to like it, but you got to do it because it's good for you. It's going to help you live longer. It's going to help you live more comfortably. It's going to be, help you be more proud of yourself. So yes, in an ideal world, we would, everyone would find a form of exercise that they really enjoy. In a realistic world, not everyone is going to ever enjoy exercise. And we just have to make sure that we make it as accessible as possible to them and as, as convenient as possible so that they can do it on a regular basis and improve their health and performance without suffering through more than they need. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you may have just convinced me that might be a really big uh, mindset change I need to make. Oh man, there we go. Because that's a really good point. Like you and I, people who are in the health and fitness world, who enjoy working out, we enjoy the challenge of it. That's exactly right. Don't often think about other people who don't enjoy that. And we kind of be like, oh, just do what you enjoy. Well, maybe they don't enjoy anything. Yeah, that's like... Maybe they don't enjoy, enjoy powerlifting. They don't enjoy bodybuilding. They don't enjoy Zumba. They don't enjoy bodyweight work. They don't like working out. And I know firsthand, I, I coached Gary Vaynerchuk for three years. He hates working out. Like he hates it. But his way of working around that was hiring a coach to be with him seven days a week for three years so that he would have to do it no matter what. Now, the vast majority of people don't have that ability. So as a coach, it's not our job just to tell people. In the same way, it makes no sense to just say, well, eat less and move more. We shouldn't just say, well, just enjoy it because not everyone's going to enjoy it. And in the same way that everyone should probably keep track of their finances, everyone should also probably work out, even though it's not always going to be fun. Yeah. Wow. That's a really good point. I'm, you, I'm glad we, I'm glad we went down that path because that, that has me thinking. So. Uh, oh yeah. That's what right. it's all about. Just thinking and coming up with new ideas and being a better coach. Yeah. A big part of this podcast is um, trying to help other people to uh, achieve their health and fitness goals, but it's also uh, a learning experience for me getting to talk to a whole bunch of different people. So. Um, I love that, man. That's amazing. So. I know that you are someone who enjoys uh, working out um, and you've kind of gone through different, uh, I guess, uh, points in your life where you focused on different types of exercise or sports. Um, can you explain what caused you to move away from powerlifting and why you started uh, doing other things like boxing or uh, jujitsu? 
Yeah. So number one, I'll say powerlifting was, was wonderful for me in many ways. It taught me an unbelievable amount of lessons. I met some truly extraordinary people in the world and, um, it helped my career a lot. Um, my main goal for a long time was to deadlift four times my body weight. So I remember speaking with someone and when I first really got into lifting and speaking with someone and someone was saying, well, yeah, you know, like an advanced lifter can lift three times their body weight. And I was like, can anyone lift four times their body weight? And he was like, very few people, like less than five people have ever done that. And in my mind, I immediately was like, I'm going to do that. I was like, I just wanted to lift four times my body weight. I was like, three is advanced. I want to lift four, which is just like elite. Uh, and as far as I know, still, there have been less than 10 people in the world to ever do that. And that was my goal for years and years and years was I just wanted to deadlift four times my body weight. So I remember on, uh, on January 24th, 2015, I did it and I put the bar down after the, like once the, once the lift was done and in my head, I was like, I'm done. Like that's, I've had enough, like my hips were aching and my back was aching and I was tired. And, you know, it's one of those things where the journey is where you get the most enjoyment, right? It's like the process of getting there. It's the, it's the workouts, it's the, it's the injuries that you end up working through inevitably at a high level the times where you didn't want to work out that you did go work out. It's the pushing through really hard sets. Like that's the journey. That's what's really fun and enjoyable about it. Once you achieve it, it's like, okay, cool. Like I've got nothing else to prove. So at that point in my life, I, I was like, you know, I'm done powerlifting. It's not, I lifting 4.1 times my body weight isn't worth it. It's not going to change anything. So I switched more to focus on my career at that point and building my business as opposed to my own strength. Um, and then you know, I, I ended up coaching Gary Vaynerchuk for three years and I literally was his personal trainer. So wherever he was in the world, I was in the world seven days a week for three years straight. I spent more times in hotels and airports than in my own apartment. And during that time in my life, fitness fell by the wayside. I was eating like an asshole. I was constantly in airports and hotels and I was not training very much. And I gained body fat and lost muscle mass and my focus was my business. So I was okay with it. Uh, but when I stopped coaching Gary and I was able to focus on my own uh, personal health and well-being again, then I really started to get back into training and I did boxing. And for me, what I've always found is I actually don't really love working out. What I love is chasing a goal. Like that's what I'm, I'm a very competitive person and I love the process of having a goal and chasing it with everything I've got. So for me, many of my goals have been performance related. So the workouts just happened as a result of me wanting to achieve that goal. It wasn't because I was like, oh, I love working out. It was because working out will allow me to achieve this specific goal, which just so happens to be physical. So for right now, because I'm doing jujitsu, I'm doing jujitsu six days a week and I'm working out on top of it. I've, I haven't worked out this hard and been so in tune with my body and my training and nutrition since my powerlifting days. And that's because 
I now have a specific goal. I have a competition for jujitsu. And one of the best parts about it is I'm a white belt. Like I suck at jujitsu. I'm really bad. I'm going to go into this jujitsu competition as a white belt and I could get my ass kicked. And I'm so excited because it means I'm learning and I'm getting better. And I have a goal of first and foremost, getting my blue belt. Uh, but then from there, becoming very good at jujitsu and ideally becoming one of the world's leading strength and conditioning coaches for jujitsu athletes, which I know is going to take me probably another three to five years at least. So right now I'm going all in on jujitsu because that's just my goal. And in order to achieve that goal, that's just what has to be done. I thought that was a really great point that um, it's, it's, it's exciting to suck at jujitsu right now because it means that you have so much further to go that you can, there's going to be a lot more uh, enjoyment to experience in the, on the road to achieving that goal. It's exactly right. There, there's one thing about being a white belt and I don't just mean in jujitsu, I mean in life, like sort of a proverbial white belt is it takes all of the pressure off of your performance, right? It's like, if you're a white belt in anything, then no one expects you to be very good. No one even really cares how well you do. And for me at a point where I have a pretty large Instagram following, pretty large YouTube, pretty large social media following where a lot of people are watching what I'm doing, there's always pressure. There's always pressure to perform. And some of that might be self-imposed in which I think people care, but maybe they don't. But also some of it is very real in which people are very involved in my life and watching and, and waiting to see what I do. So to be a white belt, is a really wonderful feeling to take the pressure off of needing to perform at a high level and just to know, just get in and practice and do your best. And you have so much to learn and there's zero reason to feel pressure because you're white belt. So who cares? Mm -hmm. So I know we've talked about powerlifting and mentioned boxing and now jujitsu, um, but I kind of have to ask uh, this question because it holds a special place in my heart. Um, I was an ice hockey player for 10 years. And I know that you've at least expressed an appreciation for ice yeah. hockey. Uh, have you ever played it before? So I never played ice hockey. I did play roller hockey for a while. Um, but I love ice skating. And I actually for a long time, I mean, I started wrestling at eight years old. So wrestling was my sport and they're both winter sports. And it, it was never really, I was never really going to play hockey. Uh, and I was never going to give up wrestling. But I remember having conversations with my mom where, where I was like, man, maybe I should Maybe I should try hockey this year. And it just never happened because wrestling was my sport. But man, I love hockey. I love watching hockey. I'm continually impressed by the athleticism that those athletes display. The grit. I mean, hockey players, they're no joke, dude. Like, they're some of the grittiest, toughest players in the world. They're like one of the only sports where you can definitely say almost all of them have at least one tooth missing. <laughs> uh, it's, it's pretty insane that the, the athleticism and the dedication and the strength and the power and the agility these athletes have. It's extraordinary. I love that sport. Have you ever seen um, the image of Jerome McGinley having like his thumb, like essentially like chopped off? It's, no, it, I have. it's just like dangling there. Um, if, yes. if you uh, look it up, uh, just like type in Jerome McGinley thumb. You, you'll see it. It's pretty gnarly. And he just kept, remember, he kept playing. I remember a, a picture, I think it was black and white where I think it was right around a net. It might've been a goalie where someone's skate literally cut someone's throat and there's blood all over the ice. I don't know if you know the picture I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, Tom, was it Tom Barrasso? I don't think that maybe it was. I, 
I'm not sure, but I just remember looking at that picture and just being in shock. And not to mention, I mean, you have this puck flying at insane speeds at your face. Like, that's crazy to me. It, it's absolutely insane. You see these players taking unbelievable slap shots that are just going into other players. I'm like, what the hell? Like, no way. It is an unbelievably impressive sport, both in skill and also mindset. Mm. Oh, the name just came to mind for that goalie. His name's uh, Clint Malarchuk. I, I would have been disappointed with myself if I didn't remember that. Because did, um, did he survive? Yeah, he was. He was all right. Um, okay. All right. Um, I literally never knew the answer to that. He had to be taken to the hospital, but um, he was okay. Um, but I would have been really disappointed with myself if I didn't remember that because he is a Buffalo Sabres goalie and I'm from Buffalo, New York. And uh, got it, they're got my favorite it. team. <laughs> um, so I know you grew up in Boston, right? Yes, I did. Boston Bruins. That makes you a Bruins fan? It, just by association. Mm-hmm. To be fair, I'm like, I'm not a hardcore sports guy. Like, uh-huh. I'm not like uh, need to be on this team, but I am like being in Boston, which is such a huge sports town. I'm a Bruins fan. I'm a Patriots fan. I'm a Sox fan. I would watch the Bruins. I'd go to their games. I'd go to the Sox games, go to the Patriots games. So uh, I, I do love Boston sports for sure. If you ever want a team to root for and be eternally disappointed by, you can always hop on the, the Sabres uh, bandwagon. <laughs> I mean, we wouldn't, we wouldn't want you to be too spoiled by New England, right? <laughs> Yeah, Boston sports, very spoiled growing up with how like incredible they've always been. So kind of switch into something else. Um, I know it's not always the best idea to generalize, but um, if there's one thing that you can think of that would benefit like anybody, like if they did this a little bit more, it would make their life, their health and fitness just better. Is there anything that comes to mind? Like one type of person? Like any person, you, you don't know anything about them, but you, you had to suggest something to them. Like what's one thing that could improve their life? Like maybe like forget about like people who are um, extreme athletes or something, but like one thing that a lot of people don't think about that could um, benefit. Walking. Them. Walking? Walking. Yeah. Walking would be it. Um, you know, I think a lot of coaches and in, in including myself in the past would say something about nutrition, but eating, like focusing on your nutrition is clearly very important. But what I found is just because you're focusing on your nutrition doesn't mean number one, you're going to feel better. Like just not always is going to happen. Oftentimes you'll end up feeling a little bit deprived and, and, and sort of angry that you won't be able to eat all the foods that you want. What I have found on the other hand though, is if you start walking, even just making a deliberate effort to walk for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you're going to feel better immediately. Like endorphins are real. So you'll start to feel better. And when that happens, you'll start to also focus on your nutrition. One of the reasons a lot of people struggle with their nutrition, especially if they're not working out is because why would they bother focusing on their nutrition if they're not doing enough with their training? So they think it's not even worth it. So just start by doing something like walking for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and all of a sudden it becomes worth it because you just put in 20 to 30 minutes of effort. And I think a lot of people massively underestimate how valuable walking is for your health, for your mental health, for your physical health, for your overall performance. Like walking, I think if you're not doing anything, start with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually been uh, walking myself like every day for months. And I think that it's like really improved how I feel. Um, and 
I think one of the great benefits of it is that it's low impact and you're not one likely to injure yourself and uh, you can, it's very unlikely to uh, really drastically increase your appetite, which ties back into the nutrition side of things. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it just, when you get back in from a 20 or 30 minute walk or 40 or however long you want to do it, even if it's a 10 minute walk, when you, when you finish it, you feel better. Like you just, and maybe you go on that walk and you call a friend and you just shoot the shit. Or maybe you listen to a podcast or maybe you listen to music or maybe you're just in silence and you're just whatever, whatever you choose, you always feel better when you get back from a walk, just always. So I think it, it will definitively help people from the very first time they do it just because they're going to feel better and they're going to feel more confident and it's going to carry over into other aspects of their life. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Jordan just left a little hint there for all you listeners. Uh, you should listen to this podcast on your walks. <laughs> but actually, um, one of the things I like to do is listen to podcasts on my walks. And I've uh, been listening to yours and uh, Mike Vicanti's. That's actually how I uh, found out about you and um, all of your health and fitness stuff. So that's awesome, man. That makes me super happy. I've just um, really been uh, enjoying your stuff. And I'm really happy that you were uh, willing to come on and share all of this information with us. It's been a pleasure. You're, you're a great host and I've enjoyed every minute. All right. Um, one thing that I have to ask, it's not necessarily health and fitness related. It might um, lead down that way. But if people read um, any of your content, they might come across some words and phrases that I'm hoping you can explain um, what they mean. Maybe not what they mean, but what they mean in uh, the context of your content. So I've got two in mind, Dumbledore and unicorns. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll sort of give a backstory. Um, when I first started making content in 2011, so I made my first website and started making content in July of 2011, so just over nine years ago. Uh, and keep in mind, this is when I made my first website. So I had already been coaching for a number of years. Uh, this is just when I started to publish content. I was at a point in my career in which I was very concerned about what other coaches thought about me. And I didn't know it at the time, but a lot of my content was written and, and coming from a place of insecurity because I would write things in a way that sounded more scientific and used bigger words because I wanted to impress other coaches and I wanted other coaches to think that I knew what I was talking about. Over the years of making content, I realized that was number one, being done out of insecurity, and number two, a very poor business decision because other coaches weren't going to pay me for my coaching services. That was what everyday general population people were going to pay me for. So I started to become more confident and comfortable with myself and sharing more of myself in my writing and my content. And so I'm a huge Harry Potter fan, like a huge, 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 huge Harry Potter fan. I love those books. I grew up on those books. Um, the movies are okay. Like I watch them, but the books are, the books changed my life. And I remember in high school, <laughs> I remember in high school, kids would always be like, yeah, Harry Potter's so stupid. I'd be like, yeah, me either. I've never read them. But meanwhile, I would go home and I would read those books. Like I loved them, but I was embarrassed about it. So when I became more comfortable and confident in myself and what I was doing, I started using Harry Potter references in my writing because I love Harry Potter. And it, one of the funniest and best parts about this is that's really what helped 
skyrocket my my career was just being more relatable and using references like Dumbledore and unicorns and Dementors and Dobby and like the Chamber of Secrets, all these things, like all these aspects of, of my life that I really enjoyed, but I kept secret because I was worried about what people thought about me. I started to incorporate them into my writing and just make my writing more easy to read and fun and enjoyable rather than so scientific. And that's really what helped start my career off. That's awesome. Well, that's all the questions I had for you. Um, if could you uh, just take a moment to let people know um, where they can find you out there on the internet? Yeah, sure. Uh, I have my own podcast, the Jordan Syatt Mini Podcast, YouTube, Instagram. If you Google my name, Jordan Syatt, S-Y-A-T-T, you'll, you'll find a lot. Uh, and if you just want to put any links in your show notes, that'd be great. Yep, I'll definitely do that. So um, be sure to check those out if you're interested in uh, getting in touch with Jordan. He has a, especially a lot of fun on TikTok and um his Instagram stories, um, <laughs> lot, lots, well, awesome. lots of fun, but still very, very inf informational. I appreciate the kind words, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for coming on. It's uh, really been a pleasure talking to you. Likewise, man. If I can ever help with anything, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, and again, you've been a wonderful host and I appreciate you. All right. Thank you. Uh, take care, George. Have a good one, you man. Too. Hey, I wanted to say thank you so much for listening. I've set a goal of helping as many people as I can live happier, healthier lives, even if it is just in the small way that this podcast can provide. If you have found this episode valuable, and if you haven't already, please consider subscribing as well as leaving a rating and review. It helps grow the show, which allows me to reach more people like you. Until next time, be well.